The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, good morning and welcome to The Grove. You made it. You're here. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you before, my name's Pastor Ryan, one of the pastors on staff. And I'll tell you, I got to just stop for a moment and take this view in a little bit because it's been about eight months since I have been on this stage in an in-person gathering. In fact, I had uh, already this morning a couple people saying, Ryan, where you been? We've been here in-person gatherings. Where you been? I had one person actually say, we thought you got fired. (laughs) Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on your point of view, no, I did not get fired. Uh, For the last six to eight months, of course, many of us know that last year, 2020, we all pivoted in our lives to different things and adapted. And one of the things we did as a church is, well, a few of them, we uh, started a drive-in gathering uh, during the times we weren't allowed to meet. Um, We also started online, so live streaming online. Um, And so we decided to go kind of all in with the online gathering experience where we started when we were on the roof. And so we had a couple different cameras. Uh, we'd we'd uh, do Facebook Live. Then uh, we had this crazy idea in the summertime to say, you know, let's start like a morning show. Let's, let's have the first 10 minutes. So you may not know this, but the first 10 minutes before this gathering every morning at 9.35 a.m., we go live. And so Heather Baumgart and myself, we started the Ryan and Heather show, uh, which is a pre-service gathering where we see the comments on Facebook coming in in real time. And on the online platform, we interact with them. We answer questions. We do giveaways. Um, And so that's where I have been uh, for the last six to eight months. Of course, we've had guest hosts as well. Eli Angulo is our online campus director. He's actually uh, guest hosting today. We've had Pastor Aaron and Pastor Jen jump down there. um, And it's been a blast. So no, I wasn't fired. That's where I've been, okay? Um, And I want to say this. When we get back to whatever semblance of normal we're all back in church, the online live gathering will not go away. And you wanna know why? Number one, it's a great front door for those uh, who are looking for a new church. Uh, Statistics show when people move to an area, individual or couple or family, they'll check out your website first. They'll look at your online social media presence to see what kind of thing you got going on. And with an online gathering, uh, they can see that. In fact, I wanna say good morning to those that are tuning in online right now. I trust that Heather and Eli took good care of you. Um, But here's another good reason for online and why it won't go away. In fact, we had this, give you a couple examples. Uh, During Easter, somebody chatted live in the chat section and said, hey, uh, on vacation and tuning into an attending church poolside right now, right? So they're on vacation and we're able to tune in. We had somebody a few weeks back say, man, just wasn't feeling good this morning. And so it's so grateful I can still tune in online to the gathering. Uh, When I was taking a, a plane ride from Seattle to Texas on a Sunday morning to go to a conference, from 35,000 feet, I paid the $6 for the internet and was able to tune in online. And you know what that means? You now have no excuse to not attend church <laughs> when you're sick, all right, or, or when you're away. But that's where we've been. It's been awesome. And I'm stoked to be here as we're continuing in our Enemy at Work message series that we started a few weeks ago. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you want to open up that Bible app, I want to give a, a quick recap of where we've been the last few weeks in case you're just jumping in today for two reasons. One, I don't want you to be lost, and two, I don't want you to be freaked out because we're talking about Satan, okay? All right, so uh, I want to have you turn, uh, I want to reread the passage of Scripture that uh, Pastor Nick opened up with, which is in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10. And as you're turning there, right, this is a series where we address that Satan is real. And look at some of the different ways that he is at work in your life and in my life and in our world to distract us, to discourage us, 
to deceive us and ultimately to divide us to keep us from becoming true followers of Jesus, not just saying his name, not just the idea that I love the idea that I'll go to heaven maybe instead of hell, but truly become disciples of his and discover our destiny and purpose that he has for each and every one of us. And so Nick opened up with this basic concept. In fact, if you ever miss any of our installments, you can always go to our website, grobe.church. You just simply click media at the top and you can find past sermons and get caught up. But it was this basic idea that Pastor Nick brought, which is the greatest trick the devil, devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist, right? And so we jump into this passage of scripture um, that, that reiterates it's this message uh, from the apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus that in fact, yes, God is real. Satan is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Angels are real. Demons are real because in our culture, we even talk about just outside of the church, right? Statistics show, you look at Barna Research or any other group, they'll say with each new generation, they become less and less interested or believe in the spiritual things, right? And so Paul's writing this letter to a church just like ours in Ephesus. And he says this in verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If you're taking notes or if you've got a pen or you've got a highlighter, circle, underline, highlight, do something on your phone where it says devil's schemes. Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able, be able to stand your ground. Let me add another scripture context to this. You can write this down. It's 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 8. There's a warning that says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls. Again, underline that circle, the devil prowls. Highlight it. Do something in your Bible or in your Bible app. He says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And here's the deal. Of all the places that we should be talking about this, it's church. Because it's not just outside of the church that are less interested in the spiritual things. Even it's crept inside the capital C church and in the lowercase c. I wanna tell you what I mean by that. The capital C church is the body of Christ across the globe. The lowercase c church is our church. Because less and less, I mean, we love the idea of God and heaven and the blessings and good things and he'll be there and he'll save me. And all of those things are, are, are true. But if we don't bring the full picture that there is an enemy at work, we get ourselves into trouble. And for those of you that have been in church for any amount of time, maybe you've been in church for decades and like, oh, Ryan, does that mean we're gonna come one of them churches? Right, Nick addressed this. We're not gonna become a church where there's a devil under every rock or around every corner, right? Or we, we, we spend too much time on it. But we also, that's one extreme. We can't go to the other extreme, which is we never talk about it. And I had you underline the schemes of the devil. Here's other descriptive words that scripture uses of what Satan is up to. The wiles of the enemy, the tricks, the craftiness, the cunning, the strategies, the tactics. In fact, or, uh, in fact, 2 Timothy 2 uses this language that you and I need to be aware so that we can escape the snares of the enemy. Think about that word snare for a second. Any, any hunters in here? Anybody ever hunt? Nobody hunts in here. I don't believe that. Okay, we got a few hands. Right? Anybody ever seen a hunting movie or something? Right? Do you know what a snare is? 
right? I mean, imagine a bear snare, a bear trap. What do you do? You hide it. And what is it? And they come walking through and it traps them. Imagine that. The first week of this installment is, is, is if I had a, is to remind us that if I had a, a square piece of, of forest, a square, uh, uh, you know, one square acre of forest, and I said, I want you to go from one side to the other. But I tell you, hey, but as you go through, beware, there's snares hidden throughout. You're gonna traverse that forest a little differently than a stroll through the park, right? The point of week one is many of us are going through life like it's a stroll in the park and we're not aware that there's snares and traps waiting for us. It's one of the ways that the enemy works. Last week, Pastor Aaron did a great job talking about another way that the enemy works, by lying to us. Satan is a liar. He will take truth and he will pervert it and he will twist it. It happens in our culture and even happens inside church. Well, that thing's not that bad. Or I don't need to do that. Well, this is, right? All of a sudden, we don't know what's true or not. Let me tell you a couple of ways that the, the enemy is still lying to some of you in this room, across this city, across this state, this country, and the world. To some of you, he's lying and telling you that you're not good enough. You're not a good enough husband. You're not a good enough wife. You're not a good enough dad. You're not a good enough mom. You're not a good enough sibling. You're not a good enough employee. You're not good enough. God wouldn't want to use you. Here's another lie. You're too dirty. Uh, I mean, God can forgive some people, but what you've done and the frequency at which, which, which you've done it, it's just too far. You're beyond the ability for God to save. You're too dirty. Here's another one. You're too weak. You can never do what that person does. You can never amount to anything. You can never be a CEO. You can never run a great family. You can never, the list goes on and who you compare yourself to. You can never stand on a stage like that and speak. You can never lead a life group and open up your home and actually walk people and do life together and help disciple them. You can never pray for anyone and actually have it make a difference. Satan is a liar. One of the greatest ways that he's still lying in our day is on the topic and then the issue of sin. That sin isn't that bad. That sin's not that big of a deal. Too many of us have bought into the lie. We can continue to live the lifestyle, whatever we wanna do, because as long as I go to church, as long as I pray once in a while, I'll be okay. Satan is a liar. And today I wanna take a look at another way that the enemy works in your life and in my life. And I wanna go from this kind of ethereal, big, worldwide, because he works that way too, but I wanna bring it down and, and focus in a little closer to home. One of the ways that the enemy is still alive and working in our lives is by causing distractions and divisions in the church, both the capital C church and the lowercase c church. The apostle Paul, who, by the way, wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament and most of his letters and writings to churches as he's correcting them and leading them and challenging them dealt often with these distractions and divisions taking place in the first century church. Let me ask you a question. Ever been distracted when you come to church? Ever found yourself sitting in a seat and find yourself, man, it's really hard to engage in worship today. Well, what did the preacher just say? Because I was thinking about something else, okay? Let me give you some, some, some ideas. Some of you, it's fantasy football. Man, you just have uh, your phone, you gotta see what's going on, see what your team's doing. Right, sometimes, let's be real, it's the worries of our life can distract us as we sit in a seat in church on a Sunday. Or, man, I got this thing going on, or, man, work's not going well, or my marriage is struggling, or this relationship is happening, or, man, how am I gonna, man, the bills are piling up. And, right, sometimes it's just life weighs on us and distracts us from being able to engage when we come to church. How many of you have ever been distracted by your kids? <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, you got kids. I mean, kids are distracted. It's just a part of life, right? Distracted when you come to church. Anybody ever get in a, a disagreement or a spat with, 
with your significant other on the drive to church. Yeah, I'm a pastor and I've been there more times than I'd like to admit, right? Have you ever been distracted? You know, Pastor Nick mentioned this book, The Screwtape Letters, in week one. Um, it's a book, you know, we use this title, Enemy at Work, in, in the sense that, you know, as believers and followers of Jesus, our enemy is Satan and his demons, right? Um, this book, C.S. Lewis uh, writes it from a different perspective, from, from the enemy's camp. So when he refers to the enemy in here, he's actually referring to Christians and believers. And the whole purpose of this book is a senior demon, right, uh, an uncle who's raising up and mentoring an apprentice young demon, his nephew. The uncle's name is Screwtape. Uh, the nephew's name is Wormwood. And to set the tone for this guy, I want to read, uh, kind of reiterate a little of the, uh, make a connection between some of these distractions that we can find in church in chapter two. Uh, is, is the sole mission and purpose of a demon is they are um, tasked and given what they call a patient, which is a human being. And their sole goal as a demon is the eternal damnation of that patient that's been assigned to them to keep them from being able to go to heaven, discover Jesus, and to be in, in hell for eternity. And so in chapter two, uh, what's happened is uh, as this senior demon is mentoring his nephew in this process, um, is this nephew's patient has accepted Jesus. I want you to read this. This is Screwtape writing to his nephew. He says, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust that you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. What's happening is this new believer is now coming to church for the very first time. And so this is what the uncle is uh, tasking his nephew with. He says, when he gets to his pew and looks around him, okay, pew, I know some of you might not know what that is. Just think row, okay, row of chairs. Well, not pews anymore, row. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces he sees next to him in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people the next pew really contains. You, know, you may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter. Your patient, thanks to our father below, referring to Satan, your patient is a fool. Provided that any of these neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. At this present stage, you see, he has an idea of Christians in his mind, which he supposes to be spiritual, but which in fact is largely pictorial. His mind is full of togas and sandals and armor and bare legs. And the mere fact that these people in church wear modern clothes is a real, though of course an unconscious, difficulty for him. The distractions that can take place in church. I love the first thing that he says. As soon as he comes to sit in his pew for the first time, the first thing he's gonna notice is the neighbors, which in real life and in society, he was avoiding because they were people that he didn't associate with or like. So he's gonna be distracted from the very moment he sits down just by scanning the room to see who else is there. 
Here's some of the other distractions, right? If they wear silly clothes, if they have double chins, that one made me laugh out loud when I read it for the first time, right? Which I'm trying to work and get rid of mine. So um, here's some of the other ones. If somebody sings out of tune or they have squeaky shoes, right? These seemingly insignificant things can distract us from engaging in worship. And you may say, Ryan, okay, those are just, I mean, come on, that stuff doesn't really happen anymore. Oh yeah, let me give you a few to ponder. How about this one? Thoughts that can enter our mind and be distracting as worship's going on or messages happening. Why doesn't that pastor wear a suit? I mean, if he's just gonna wear that hoodlum clothes, I mean, he must not really take Jesus seriously, so I'm just gonna find another church. Why is he dressing like that? Well, I just don't like that style of music. Like, I just can't engage in this style of music. I don't really like that, you know, the full, the, I mean, can we get some country in here? Oh my gosh, I just about threw up in my mouth even saying it. Here's another one. Man, who in the world picked this color scheme? Man, they need to get somebody in here. How about this? Man, why is it so dark in here all the time? I mean, in worship, I can't even see the end of my face. I mean, they need to get some windows up in this building. Singing out of tune, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? I've definitely been distracted, and some of you are saying, man, I distract myself with my own singing during worship. Right, but these are seemingly insignificant things. Here's one last one for you. Man, what happened to my freshly baked chocolate chip cookies and coffee in the lobby before I come in? I gotta bring my own coffee. I gotta bring my own snacks with me. Just can't concentrate. <laughs> you ever been distracted by other people in church? I love it. Screw tape goes in to say, up to this point, I've worked under the assumption that people in the pew offer no rational ground for disappointment. But if the woman with the absurd hat is a fanatical bridge player, right, in reference to a gambler, or the man with squeaky boots is a miser and an extortioner, then your task is so much the easier. This is how it works out for you and I. We come in, we sit down. Psst, psst, see that guy over there? I went to high school with him. Boy, I could tell you some stories, stuff he did in high school. <laughs> That's the kind of church this is, okay. See that one over there? Yeah. My cousin's mom's best friend said a story that they own this business and that they cheated them out of stuff. So this is the kind of church this is. You see what she's wearing in church? I mean, she's gonna wear that in church. Imagine what she wears outside of here. She must be, or we come in and we see different people that maybe we know or don't know and it can become a distraction for us. We can look at their vices and what they've done in their past or that we know maybe even they're still struggling with now and it can become an excuse. These are the distractions that can take place. In church, the other thing that happens a way that the enemy works is not only in distractions, but it's also in divisiveness and in quarrels inside the church. The apostle Paul, I wish I could have, I wish we had an hour or two to go through this because there's so many references in scripture where Paul was dealing with these things. I wanna give you three of them, a little survey of the New Testament. In Romans chapter 16, if you're taking notes, starting in verse 17, it says this, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Here's another one, Titus chapter three starting in verse nine. It says, but avoid foolish controversies 
genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self Condemned. One more, another letter to another church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says this. Corinthian church was a screwed up church, man. You should read it. He says this I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported. Now, Paul's going to give an example of some of the quarrels that are happening. He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or someone else, I follow Apollos, or someone else, I follow Cephas, someone else, I follow Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And in fact, in one uh, uh, passage, Paul says, I'm really glad I wasn't there to baptize you lest you say you were baptized in my name. In another part, he uses a farming uh, kind of word picture to say, listen, I planted, Apollos watered, but catch this, God gave the increase. What was happening is they were being divided over what leader was the better leader to follow. And Paul says, listen, and I got news for people in this room. I got news for pastors across this world. There's only one hero of the story. And it's not the hip new preacher. It's not the hip new thing. It's not the one that's got the biggest church. We're all in this together on the same mission. Jesus is the only hero of this story. And yet they were divided. And you say, well, Ryan, that's not happening anymore. We love the Grove Church. You're our guys. It still happens all the time. It may not be you specifically, but you, how many times I hear, oh, this church down the road, this is what they're doing. You guys should be doing that. Or, hey, this church I, well, church I came from, we used to do it this way. You guys need to change what you're doing. And right now we've got every, the greatest pastors, speakers, communicators, writers at our fingertips with the internet. Didn't used to be that way. Boy, you can find and you can insert the name of whatever TBN preacher or, or Andy, or Charles Stanley is my guy. Nothing against Charles Stanley. I think he's great. Well, I fought uh, Stephen Furtick. Well, uh, I mean, I like the, you know, Craig Rochelle's my guy. Oh, Chad Veach. No, I'm not against these guys at all, but you literally will find inside the church this, uh-uh, I'm with this guy, I'm with that guy. Same things that were happening just over 2,000 years ago are still happening in church today. I wish we had more time. Let me give you a, a rundown of some of the other issues that Paul tackled with churches in the first century. There were people in churches that were hoarding and even some of them getting drunk on communion wine. Okay, can you imagine that playing out on a Sunday morning here? Okay, we start with communion over here and we pass it back and by the time it gets over here, all the wine's gone because the drunkards on this side drank it all. <laughs> Paul's having to deal with this in churches, right? There were arguments over which gift of the spirit was more important, right? People were showing off with the gift that God had given them out of acts of pride from within their own hearts to get recognition and Paul had to come in and deal with it. Church gatherings were chaos. People would stand up with a word and they'd yell over each other and they'd yell over each other and Paul came in and said, you, stop it. There needs to be some order to this. There were divisions. There was divisiveness on following the Jewish law, right? There was, in the beginning of the first century, the, uh, the Jews that had become converted and accepted Jesus were saying, Paul or, or Apollos, whoever their leader was like, well, but, but I'm a Jew, so I was circumcised. Ouch, by the way, right? Uh, and so that's great that the Gentiles, can, but don't, they, need to go get, they need to go get circumcised, right? Because I had to get circumcised, and that, I mean, that wouldn't be fair. 
I mean, this is the arguments that were happening. The other one from Jewish law, the argument that happening is the type of food you could eat. Well, you can't eat that because this is all Jewish law, old Jewish law. You couldn't do those things. And so they were frustrated that the Gentiles, those that were non-Jewish that were becoming to believe in Jesus, were able to eat these certain things. And Paul says, listen, what Christ did on the cross paid for all of that. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Right? We know from Scripture it's not what a man or a woman eats that defiles them. It's what comes out of their heart that defiles them. Which, by the way, is why when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we all have ham, okay? Because pig, you were not allowed to eat before, right? And everybody who loves bacon said amen, all right? So Paul said, no, you don't have to worry about that stuff. But these were divisions. There were cliques that were forming between social statuses. Oh, no, those seats are for you. You've got to get back of the bus. We, we, we've got this area up here for us. There was confusion over issues of sin. And they even began to sue each other in open court over these things. And Paul had to address it. The enemy's schemes are to lay snares and traps to distract, to discourage, to deceive, and to divide us. I want to close with this. I've only been alive for 41 years. And so I want to make a statement, but I don't want to talk like, oh man, in all of history, I've never seen. That's not what I'm saying. I've only been alive 41 years. But in my 41 years, I personally have never seen the church, the capital C church and the lowercase c church more divided. Divided over politics. Not just that, hey, you can think this way and I can think that way, but there's literal hate that goes with somebody who doesn't vote the way that you vote. And I'm not just talking about, oh, somewhere on social media or out there, those people, like, we all get that there's Republicans and Democrats in the same room, right? Surprise. <laughs> But there's hate, there's division that we are allowing Satan to come in and drive a wedge between us. We're divided over personal opinions and beliefs, some cultural. We're divided over masks. And we're divided over things that we should absolutely not be divided over. And I might ruffle some feathers when I say this, but we're divided even as a church over things like racism and sexism and bigotry. And I know that as soon as I say that, oh, well, Ryan, but it's not that, it's not that simple. Listen, I understand, but the enemy is coming in and he is driving a wedge between brothers and sisters in Jesus. And if we continue to let it happen, we're letting him win. We know he won't win ultimately. We know that the price and the battle is already won, but it's still happening for us in real time, right? God stands outside of time. It's hard for us to rationale that and understand that. We know the battle's won, but right now we're allowing division to come in. And I wanna close with this last statement. My heart earnestly breaks as a pastor to see so many Christians transition from the church being about the joy of worship learning the scriptures, being transformed internally in hearts and in minds and serving others with generous hearts. And it's transitioning to being about our specific opinions, our specific judgments, distractions of majoring on minor issues and in the end becoming ineffective and unproductive and in fact a burr in the saddle of the mission of the church, both lowercase and uppercase C move forward. My heart is that with the reminder that the enemy's real, with the reminder that there is a battle going on, snares laid out for us, that he is at work in our lives and in our world to distract us, to discourage us, to deceive us, and ultimately to divide us. 
to keep you and I from truly becoming disciples of Jesus, discovering and walking in the purpose and destiny that he has for each of us. And my prayer is that we would turn back to the church being about the joy of worship, the learning of the scriptures, being transformed in heart and in mind and in serving others with generous hearts. Let me pray. God, we thank you that even amidst the battle that rages, that we do not need to be afraid because we know that the battle is already won, but it's being aware. We don't wanna walk through life as it's a stroll through the park, but be aware that there is an enemy. He is at work. And God, as King David wrote and prayed earnestly in the, in the Psalms, search our hearts, O God, and reveal to us any unclean way of thought or process or ideal or sin that's in our lives because we don't want it to be there. We want to be a people united with one purpose and one mission, that we would be aware of the wiles and the strategies and the tricks of the devil to divide us, that God, we could come back into unity, into love, of worshiping you with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.